Uh, it's not lost on me that uh, it's mid-August, and so the dreaded thing called school resumes soon, which to some parents we all sing, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Um, unless you're sending a kid back to college, right? And then you wear black. Um, um, <laughs> maybe that's funny. Um, look, I know many of you are going back to college, and, 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 there's, and there's any number of names that I might mention this morning who, who fall into that category, but Lainey Evans is one who has devoted uh, no shortage of one million hours um, this summer uh, to all manner of things. And so I want to pray for her and for other college students that are about to embark on the next semester wherever you may be headed. So uh, let's do that. Father, I thank you for Lainey and for her kindness and her being poured out like a, a drink offering in so many ways for the good of so many. And um, I pray for her and for all those who now uh, have before them uh, a new semester ahead, whether in college or high school or middle school or elementary school, and whether those be teachers or students. I pray for hope, and I pray for strength, and I pray that you might teach them something about yourself, even as they're learning all these subjects that uh, hold their attention or do not. So thank you for the day and for the morning, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in a we're in the fifth commandment today, which is, let's just say it what it is. It's a little heavy and a little um, controversial in some ways. So I thought I would lighten it up a little bit. Um, we're, we're halfway through the commandments because five is half of ten for you math majors. And when we consider those commandments, sometimes it's always helpful to kind of figure a way to help remember all of them. Well, boy, do I have something for you. We have a sister church up in, in Asheville that meets at the Orange Peel. It's called Grace and Peace Church, and Jonathan Inman is the pastor there, and he has developed this award-winning, highly renowned device for you to remember the Ten Commandments. So I asked him to dress up all the, to the nines in his greatest preaching duds and to share with you his excellent insight into how to remember the Ten Commandments. So kids, this is especially geared for you. Feast your eyes on this device. Hey folks, my friend, your pastor, Patrick Lafferty, asked me to show you these hand gestures that I use to remember and help other people remember the Ten Commandments. I didn't come up with them. I got them from some pastor up in Philly years ago. I, I adapted them a little. You can do with them what you want. Okay, here we go. Uh, what's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There's only one God that makes all the difference in the world. Second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, no calf idols, no blue devils, no wolf pack, no calf, no calf. God tells us how we're supposed to worship him. Third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Watch your words, watch what you say, because God is holy, holy, holy. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. These are the people running late to church. God gives us one whole day and seven to rest and worship so we can live full on for him the other six. Fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. <clears throat> on my honor uh, that you may live long and prosper. It's in there. You can check it out later. Uh, sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Psh, don't do that. Don't do that. People are precious. Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Seventh commandment, God takes two people and makes them one flesh in marriage. Eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, because in some parts of the world, if you get caught stealing, they cut your thumbs off. Uh, the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't tell me four equals five, because when you lie or talk smack about somebody, somebody feels left out. 
Uh, and the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. Don't do it. All right, that's your Ten Commandments. Bye now. This is why I'm a Presbyterian. We have sister churches connecting with one another, serving one another, and you're welcome. All right. Um, now we're going to talk about the fifth commandment. And again, because it's a rather remarkable command and, and one that uh, many kids in this room are going, really, do we have to? Um, I thought we'd lighten it up a little bit by uh, the gold standard of all cos of comic strips was ever and always will be Calvin and Hobbes. Um, Frank Waterton did that for years, and why he stopped, I don't know, but he certainly quit while he was ahead, but there is no parallel. And it just so happens, as we talk about the fifth commandment, I thought a great way to set it up was to, to let Calvin sing his ode to parents. But this morning, I've asked not Calvin, but Calvina and Hobbes to come and recite that famous ode they've been practicing. You have heard of people singing for their supper? Well, these two are reciting for their lunch. So if you wouldn't mind welcoming two of my brood... My mom and my dad are not what they seem. Their dull appearance is part of their scheme. I know of their plans. I know their techniques. My parents are outer space alien freaks. They land on this earth in spaceships humongous, posing as grown-ups. They now walk among us. My parents deny this, but I know the truth. They're here to enslave me and spoil my youth. Early each morning, as the sun rises, mom and dad put on their earthling disguises. I know right away their masks weren't legit. Their faces are lined. They sag and don't fit. The earth's gravity makes them sluggish and slow. They say not to run wherever I go. They live by the clock. They're slaves to the routine. They work year-round. They're almost machines. <laughs> they deny that TV and fry food have much worth. They cannot be human. They're not of this earth. I cannot escape their alien gaze, and they're warping my mind with their alien ways. For sinister plots, this one is a gym. They're bringing me up to turn me into them. Child labor. <laughs> when I sneeze, I hear my father. When I watch my children engage in perilous activity, I do the same thing he did. Right? Like, I didn't have to be taught to do that. I just do it, and I, and I hear it. And, and though I lost my mother uh, over 35 years ago, I'm sure if I sat with any of my extended family with any, for any length of time, they would begin to notice things in me that would remind them of my mother. Their, their impact on me is indelible in ways um, that I, I can, I'm barely sensible to, and that's true for every single person in this room. Um, your parents have an impact that you cannot measure, for good or for ill. And every relationship that you have, everyone is in some ways, to some extent, shaped and formed by the kind of relationship you had with your parents. It's just undeniable. And, and as a family goes, so as society goes. You, you will hear constantly about the correlation, the association between the, the integrity of families and, and the, the, the integrity of a society. And those things work. And you would, it would make sense because this is the first place in which you learn how to be a human. We're talking about the fifth commandment today, about showing respect to our parents. And what does that mean? And, and the struggle is, how does that apply to everybody in this room? Because I know that not everybody is in the same situation, not the same circumstance, not the same station, and yet I would like to argue that this commandment has implications for every single person in this room, kids and adults alike, whether you've ever had children or you have more than you can count. We're going to consider that respect for parents has a relationship 
to the worship of God. And we're going to consider that idea under three headings. One, what does honoring our parents have to do with worshiping the Lord? And then secondly, what does worshiping the Lord have to do with honoring our parents? That might sound like I'm saying the same question. Those are different questions. And when we kind of tease out the principles that we find in answer to those questions, how do those principles apply in practice no matter who you are? That's what we're doing. We're going to read the fifth commandment, which goes very quickly, and I'm going to read it with a couple other passages from the New Testament that I think help tease out some of its nuance. So I wonder if you might stand as we read from Deuteronomy and the book of Matthew. Deuteronomy 5.16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then from Matthew chapter 10, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then later in Matthew 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. At the most basic level of the passages you just heard, Here is the claim that the relationship between parents and children have an abiding importance to God. Full stop. No qualification. As we've said before, the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments are particularly addressed to what it means to love the Lord your God. Commandments 5 through 10 are about how do you love your neighbor at yourself, as yourself. And I think it's significant, and as others have noted, that the first commandment dealing with how to love another starts with how to love your parents. That honoring your parents is the first and fundamental way of learning to love your neighbor. And that makes sense. When you, when you read the testimony of the entirety of the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, among the, which is written at a time after Israel has been exiled for habitual, abiding Neglectful sin, among the reasons that Ezekiel attributes to why they're in exile is of the estrangement that has emerged between parents and children. In the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, it speaks of a day when there will be the day of the Lord. And part of what is in that vision of a day of 
Reconciliation and renewal is the return of the hearts of fathers to their children and the return of the hearts of their children to their fathers. Families are at the center of what it means to be part of that family. And as you've heard here in the New Testament readings from the Gospel, and as you will hear elsewhere in the rest of the New Testament by Paul, both Jesus and Paul will cite the fifth commandment often in their conversation about what it means to live unto the Lord. And that makes perfect sense. Because families are responsible for protecting and providing And when you poison that which exists between parents and children, the impact cannot be calculated. And that's why I would argue, as I've I've intimated earlier, honoring our parents and worshiping the Lord go hand in hand. How? Before we can get to the precise answer to that question, we better ask ourselves, first of all, what does it mean to honor the Lord? What does it mean to give them that honor? And, And that word honor is the word in Hebrew, kaved, which is related to another word that we may have heard us quote before. It's the word kavod, it's the word glory, which at its basic level means a certain weightiness, a significance. To honor our parents is to give their due weight to them by virtue of who they are. That there are some things that they deserve that not another deserves simply by the, the reason that they're up, simply because they are fathers and they're mothers. When you are in a room and a head of state comes into the room, you stand, maybe because you have absolutely no respect for the person who occupies that office, but you stand simply because they hold the office. You're standing in respect for the office. You walk into a cathedral. And there is a part of you that doesn't need to be told, shh. The room itself kind of exudes the sense of, I I am in a place that deserves a different kind of vibe in me and in the world. About 11 years ago, we had the privilege of being in in Dublin, Ireland, and we walk into St. Patrick's Cathedral, you know, centuries old, beautiful edifice. And we walk in there and uh, we hear music in in one of the vestibules and we we get a little closer and it's a a choir. Oh great, it's a choir. It's St. Patrick's Cathedral in Ireland. Oh great, it's a kid's choir, right? And what are they singing? They're singing Bohemian Rhapsody, (laughs) right? Love that song. Can sing that song till the cows come home. I love Queen. It's great. But there? Really? They needed to rename the the title St. Patrick's Venue it's just a, it's a, it's a different, it's a different place that calls for a different kind of mentality. And when it comes to fathers and mothers, it's calling for a different kind of attention, a different kind of respect. And as soon as I say that, I, I know that I have to qualify what I mean. The, the reason that, that honoring is, is more than just a rule is is because we're claiming in the commandment that, that parents are many things. They, they obviously impart life. If there was no parents, there is no you. That they are tasked with preserving and protecting and nurturing that life that they have brought into this world. And, and thirdly, they are in some sense God's servants on his behalf to care for one whom he has an appreciation for because that child is made in the image of God as much as it's made in the image of their parents. But I know full well that there are people in this room for whom the only thing their parent did was impart life. And that was it. And then they decided that they were done. And we're going to speak to that. 
but I just need to let you know that I know if that's your story, I know you're here. This respect comes in that way. But it has particular forms. Honor is not just sort of stand in there when mom steps in the room. That's not it. No, my lady, kiss the ring. It's, you know, it's not, you know, I'm sure they'd be fine with that. But um, no, that's not what it's calling for. What are the forms of respect that kind of explain this idea of honor? And, and I'm going I'm to pull up uh, the other Calvin, John Calvin, to explain that. And he, he kind of centers honor on, in three heads. Um, reverence, obedience, and gratitude. And at this moment, all the parents are looking at their kids going, write this down, right? <laughs> write this down. Respect, reverence, obedience, and gratitude. What is reverence? It's, it's simple. It's, it's simply recognizing um, you have an authority by virtue of being my mom and dad, that you possess a wisdom that I do not have. Much as I might think that I am smarter than you at times, much as I might think that you are off your rocker, Reverence unto my parents means I, I, I have to acknowledge, I think maybe you've been around the block a few more times than I have and might have something to share. That's reverence. Obedience follows from that. It is to lean in. It is to listen to what they say. It is to follow their lead. To believe that they have something to offer you that might be for your good. That's obedience. And, and that obedience of hearing and heeding them is not simply to be an act of your compliance. Fine, I'll do it. It, it, it has to be something more. It has to be out of a sense of gratitude for who they are. Because look, what is parenthood? Parenthood is, by definition, sacrifice and service and making yourself vulnerable and entering into pain by your own choice. No one can be a parent unless they are willing to engage in those experiences of what it means to be a parent. You, you cease to be a parent. You are a parent in name only. And, and therefore, when, um, when Paul, or, or when the, the commandment says, honor your father and mother as the Lord has commanded you, for then you will live long in the land. It is a, it is a command that comes with a promise. A promise that if you listen, I may have something for you that will allow you to find life, a life that lasts, a life that prevails, a life that might even flourish as a consequence of having both reverence, obedience, and gratitude for what I have done. It's more than compliance. It's something more. Let me get to the heart of my first question, though, again. What does honoring our parents have to do with worshiping the Lord? If, in fact... Their life, their witness unto us, allows us to live with the possibility of great flourishing. Then you see that to follow them is your first practice in following the Lord. And so to answer my first question, what, is it, what does the one have to do with the other? Honoring our parents prepares us for worshiping the Lord. It is the first gym. It is the first laboratory. It is the first practice field. Do you want to know what it means to live before the Lord and follow him? Then honor your mother and your father. If you will diss them and dunk on them and disparage them and run away from them and refuse their wisdom at every cart, do you think you can automatically just learn how to means what it is to worship the Lord? Honoring your parents is practice for that. 
It was always supposed to be that. I think that's why it's the first of the six commandments about how to love somebody else. You are learning it there. And again, I'll, let, me, let me bring up those in the room who, who again, maybe think of their parents and they, they want to think of them fondly, but they just can't. That there were so many hopes that you had for them that they just sort of decided, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing and, and good luck to you, young child. To honor them is not the same thing as admiring them. It's not even the same thing as liking them. It is to respect who they are by virtue of, if you will, the office that they hold. Because in honoring them, you are learning of what it means to honor the Lord and to worship the Lord. Those two things go together. You might just think this is all an attempt by adults to, you know, oppress the children, but I'm acknowledging to you, you are learning the first things about what it means to follow God by, in your honoring of your parents. Okay, that's the first question. Let's flip it the other way. What does worshiping God have to do with honoring parents? How do those two things together? And here's where I got to tease out those two texts from the Gospel of Matthew. There, in Matthew 15, Jesus is referring to the fifth commandment. And he, as many, if you know anything about Matthew's life, there's a lot of, I mean, about Jesus' life, there's a lot of times that he has to confront the Pharisees in their arrogance, in their distortion, in their misunderstanding of what the law had been teaching. And in Matthew 15, you, you kind of hear in the background this, this implied expectation that if you have parents, and in that setting, there was no 401k, there was no safety net. When it comes to their age or their infirmity, there was a call upon them to care for your parents, to protect them. But what you heard there in Matthew 15 was that the Pharisees had come up with a little policy, a little loophole, a little exception to the rule of the fifth commandment. That you could set aside some of your financial resources and say, I'm going to dedicate this to God. I'm going to give it to the temple. And so whatever I might have given to my parents for their good in their age or their infirmity or their decrepitude, forget it. I'm going to give it to the Lord because I'm going to be spiritual. And Jesus looks at those Pharisees who are saying this is a good idea and he's saying you're defrauding parents. You're distorting the law. The law says honor your father and your mother. And it's unequivocal in that way. The bond that you have between parents and children is sacred. Now in context, that's not new. They would have heard that before. But what is new is what happens in Matthew chapter 10. Because there Jesus says some of the most jarring words you can imagine. He says in Matthew 10, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I'm disoriented all of a sudden. Wait a minute. Honor my father and mother. That's a good idea. But wait, if I, well, wait, it gets better. Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Hate? Well, that seems awfully harsh. Is he a tyrant? Is, does he lead a cult? Uh, you better hate your parents. That sounds like a cult. What's the word hate there? What's the word love me more than your parents or you're not worthy of me? What's, what's going on there? The, the word hate is not hate as in I disdain you. 
I dis- I, you, you disgust me. It's a way of speaking. It is Jesus' way of saying that there is a degree of expectation in our allegiance and faithfulness to the Lord that must so eclipse our faithfulness and allegiance to our parents that it might as well seem like hate. It's in matters of degree here. Not I actually hate you, but that I, he leads. He's Lord. You're not. And you might think, gosh, why does he have to say that? Why is that so jarring? And all I got to say is this. Have you ever experienced an emotion in which you thought your life was going to crumple because you disappointed your parents. No, I'm sure none of you have had that problem. I'm sure it's very confined to just a few of us sinners. Exactly. You know what it's like to feel like your whole world will fall apart because you disappointed her or because he disapproved of you. And it's like the whole world disappears and the bottom drops out and you think, um, nothing. There is a way of honoring your parents too little. And, and that's what you hear Jesus confronting with the Pharisees there in Matthew 15. But here in Matthew 10, Jesus is addressing a, a primal, instinctual thing in all of us that we perhaps never shake off until somebody gets in our face, and that is to make too much of mom and dad to an extent that it absolutely eclipses our faithfulness to the Lord. And we all know what that feels like. Um, Everybody that's born has to transition out of the womb. But everybody that grows up has to do another transition in which the authority that you believe that your parents have and rightly do is authority that only has been entrusted to them and therefore, there's this dynamic progression in which you respect them over time. The respect is intact forever. But it is never to an extent that you leave God out of it and if I can just make her happy. Um, anybody still watch Call the Midwife? I know. I, I, several years ago, I remember this episode in particular, uh, Chummy. That's Chummy. And that's Chummy's mom. And uh, Chummy uh, is, a, is a midwife, right? And uh, she lives in a blue-collar town uh, that's called Poplar. And um, she's married to kind of a blue-collar guy who's a policeman. And uh, they have a, a kid together, and his name is Freddie. But um, Chummy comes from money. And uh, her mother always reminds her that she comes from money. And her mother um, often puts these little jabs every once in a while, um, having a certain disdain not only for where she lives, for the job she holds, for the guy she's married, and for calling her son Freddie. She just feels that's beneath any grandchild of hers. And as you might expect, over the course of season three, Chummy is continually catalyzed to want to do anything to get her mom to smile and to get her approved. And then we come to learn as that season progresses that Chummy's mother is dying of cancer. And, and eventually asks Chummy if she could come to Chummy's home and, and live her last days there. And, and towards the end of that season, Chummy, something happens in her. A shift occurs in her. That, that, that natural impulse to want to do everything to make mom happy and to, and to put everything out so that mommy would always you know, be fine with what she did, something is displaced in her. Instead, she learns to respect her without forgetting that she's not the Lord. 
And, and so when mom is dying in her bed, uh, Chummy lays in the bed with her mother as she's dying. And Chummy lays in the bed with her mother and, and speaks to her and holds her hand. And, and in that moment, you are, you are convinced that something has shifted in Chummy, that now she has finally found that place that she might respect her mother without treating her mother as if she were God. And, and that, my friends, is, is what I think the second answer to our question is. What does is, what is worshiping the Lord have to do with honoring our parents? It's the worship of the Lord that purifies the honoring of our parents. Honoring our parents prepares us to worship the Lord. Worshiping the Lord purifies the kind of honor that our parents are due, whether they were good or not. Jesus will continually reaffirm that truth about the fifth commandment, and in so doing, he is at the same time acknowledging the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, now honor your parents. That's not new. But the, but the newest and the most jarring thing is for him to say, um, your parents will never be greater than me, and you cannot be my disciple if you allow them to be greater than me. That's new. That kind of respect. That Jesus actually has a greater call on us than our parents. And that's why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something to you from, from F.D. Bruner, who's a wonderful theologian that I, I like to share with you often. He, he says this, he goes, Jesus' self-consciousness is distracting. Who does he think he is? He comes crashing into history and, and then into our lives and he takes over, preempting our most instinctive loyalties, presuming on our deepest affections, usurping our natural ties and asking to be the most important person in our lives. We wouldn't tolerate that presumption by anyone, but somehow it's appropriate in him. We sense that his claim restores us to the primal family. Here's where we're taking these ideas of honoring prepares us for worship and worship purifies our honoring to heart. Because how do we do that? It's not without help. And it's the third thing I have to say to land this plane. How does these principles show up in practice? The only way they will is through the gospel. What has Jesus done? In his life and in his death, he has fulfilled the fifth commandment without question. He has done everything his father has asked. He has honored his heavenly father in every way unimaginable to an extent that nobody of us could ever dream. He has honored his father in that, in his life and in his death. But he has also honored his mother. And that's why we read that passage from John chapter 19. He has said, Behold, woman, your son. Behold, man, your mother. Jesus leaves and will leave forever, but it not, will not be without his mother being cared for by those that can. And in Jesus doing that and fulfilling the fifth commandment, do you know what he's done to you and to me? He's honored us. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. Not because he was impressed by you, but because he loves you in spite of yourself. And he fulfills the fifth commandment in order to honor you that he might pardon you. That he might bring you forgiveness of sins and that he might point you in the way of life. 
as your first parents have tried. Your family, as it's been said, is the first hospital, the first school, and the first seminary. But it's only the first one. He must increase, and they must decrease. So rather than, rather than making too little of our parents, as we are tempted to do, the way Jesus fulfills the fifth commandment, it actually suggests to us that there might be some benefit in actually showing our parents respect. We may not always agree. We may not always see the wisdom behind their instruction. We may even be actually frustrated by that. But there may be some benefit to it that we can't quite see even in the moment. And Jesus' honoring of his heavenly Father is an example of what it means to fulfill an expectation that is full of love. But rather than making too much of him, much of our parents, when you believe that you have been pardoned, when you believe that his claim upon you is great and his love for you is everlasting, and it's never, it never misses, even though sometimes it feels like it's elusive. If that is true, then in those moments where you're doing the right thing unto the Lord, but you're still disappointing your parents, it may hurt. It may smart. But you will not be swallowed by it. Because you belong first and foremost to him who first gave you them, that they might give you back to him. How does this apply? Let me give you three ways real quick. One, I know this is a commandment that's addressed to children and, and mostly adult children of parents because in that day, you know, you would just tend to write them off. You Thanks, thanks, you did your part, I'm moving on. But I think there's as much an implicit command to parents. If, if children are to honor their parents by virtue of the office our parents hold, then in some ways that calls parents up to be living worthily of the office. When Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but raise them up in the nurture, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's our call. You don't use your office like a title and saying, I'm the one. There are responsibilities that are entailed by that role, mothers and fathers. And that's why, parents, you will have to rest and find your life in the gospel too. Not only in trying to fulfill the office of parents in the way that Jesus fulfilled and honored of his parents, but you will have to rest in the fact that he loves you even if you failed and when you do. Because his love is everlasting and his forgiveness is real. What about those of you who either have children that have moved on or... You've never had kids, kids. And so you're kind of like, man, I sat how long through this? Um, look, on a number of occasions, uh, disciples come to Jesus, hey, um, mom, brothers, they're outside. And Jesus says, um, I'm sorry, who are my mother and my brothers? Um, it's the ones who do the will of God. That's my mother and my brothers. It doesn't mean that Mary's not my mother. It's just that let's, let's be really clear. Who are my mother and my brothers? It's anybody who does the will of God. And, and I say that to say this to you. When Jesus birthed the church, he birthed many mothers and fathers that have absolutely no biological connection to anybody in the room. 
Anybody with wisdom is a mother and father to anybody else in this place. And so this commandment is as applicable to you as to anybody else that is a biological parent. And that's why if you are older in this room, I, I, would, I would ask, I would implore you to offer your wisdom to those who are younger than you. And, and to those of you who are younger in this room who think you know everything, you don't. Because those who have been around the block a few more times than you have a wisdom you do not and will not soon have. And therefore, of all the people that you are part of, any group that you're a part of, I, I, I dare you, what other CrossFit, school, your neighborhood, where else have you been thrown together with this many generations in the same room? Why are we not maximizing the opportunity to get those generations together to learn from each other? I think the fifth commandment calls that. And then the last constituency, uh, I've said that last one, but I gave you a hint that I was going there at the beginning, and that's this. What about those of you um, whose parents were parents in names only? Um, who imparted life and then decided, I'm going to check out. And to hear this commandment, I, I would get it if, you're, if your most emotional response is that of cynicism. I mean, maybe you can nod your head at the ethical teaching of Jesus that says, hey, um, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecuted you or who failed you. But at some personal level, you're like, I'm sorry. That just does not apply. To which, this might be a funny way of trying to answer that feeling in you, but I would like you to consider the experience of Mary Poppins. What? Anybody ever see Saving Mr. Banks? It's about P.L. Travers, the author of Mary Poppins, right? And it's a wonderful story of uh, her getting to know uh, Walt Disney. And Walt Dis and she's, she's, she's prickly, she's brilliant, um, she, but she, she resists the, the idea all, from, from the beginning to the end of turning her story into um, a movie. And I want to show you a scene from late in the film where Walt Disney is making his last-ditch effort to let him use that story to make a movie. Because what we come to discover in the course of that story is that Mary Poppins is not just some sort of tale that Disney likes to tell, that it's an autobiographical story. Everybody thinks it's about Mary Poppins coming to sweet and delight the children. It's actually about the father. Because see, P.L. Travers had a dad who she thought at one point hung the moon, larger than life, and then fell into alcohol and despair and died early and acted monstrously toward her on a number of occasions with hateful words. And when he died, P.L. Travers, to some degree, for reasons maybe she couldn't even give words to, felt somewhat responsible for his death. And in this moment, Walt Disney is telling his own story of family tragedy and difficulty, if only to make a point and to make a persuasive call for her to let him take P.L. Travers' story and do with it as you will. Listen. I'm just so tired, Mr. Travers. I'm tired of remembering it that way. Aren't you tired too, Mrs. Travers? Now, we all have our sad tales, but don't you want to finish the story, let it all go, and have a life that isn't dictated by the past? It's not the children she comes to save. It's their father. It's your father. Travers Goff.
I don't know what you think you know about me, Walter. You must have loved and admired him a lot to take his name. I... It's him this is all about, is it? All of it, everything. Forgiveness, Mrs. Travers. It's what I learned from your books. I don't have to forgive my father. He was a wonderful man. No. You need to forgive Helen Goff. Life is a harsh sentence to lay down for yourself. Give her to me, Mrs. Travers. Trust me with your precious Mary Poppins. I won't disappoint you. I swear every time a person walks into a movie house from Leicester Square to Kansas City, they will see George Banks being saved. They will love him and his kids. They will weep for his cares. They will wring their hands when he loses his job. And when he flies that kite. Oh, Mrs. Travis, they will rejoice. They will sing. In movie houses all over the world, in the eyes and hearts of my kids and other kids and mothers and fathers for generations to come, George Banks will be honored. George Banks will be redeemed. George Banks and all he stands for will be saved. Well, maybe not in life, but in imagination. Because that's what we storytellers do. We restore order with imagination. We instill hope again and again and again. So trust me, Mrs. Travers. Let me prove it to you. I give you my word. She wrote a story to redeem the story of her father. And in so doing, to try to find some sort of way of loving him, despite all the anguish and perhaps even a sense of guilt that she was responsible for his early death. I'm not asking you to trust Walt Disney. I'm asking you to trust Jesus, who has come to write a story for you in particular, if parents were for you a great disappointment, that he is for you what they never were. And yet at the same time, if you have loved your parents in spades and they've done everything that you said you give proper thanks for, I would also say to you that Jesus' love is even greater and it's their love for you that points you to them, to him. This is what it means to walk in obedience to him as we learn to try to respect our parents even when it's hard. Believe me, as a parent, sometimes it's hard for us too. But in his grace and in his mercy, there is hope and softens us and in him is our salvation. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, um, this feels, uh, I'm sure for many in this room, like a tall order. Maybe it's impossible in their mind. And for others, it's a, it's a renewal of a thing that perhaps we have forgotten. Either making too little of those who gave us life or making too much. And whichever the case may be, I would pray that you would show yourself beautiful and powerful and, and um, full of wisdom that we might know what is proper and what the moment calls for. And now would you hear us as we sing to you 
And would you sing back to us in the deepest recesses of our soul that we might know your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.